0: Okay, so just imagine when this little boy, he's got his Levi's on, he's got his tennis shoes on, he's got his big tired bike, and oh, he's about 10 years old. Now he rides his bike down to the drugstore, and he starts to go to the back of the drugstore where he knows there's a wall of model uh, cars in boxes, and they're all beautiful cars with beautiful pictures, but he's looking for one. He's looking for the red Mustang. There it is. He finds that red Ford Mustang. And it is so beautiful on the box. He takes his paper out money, and he takes all of it in his little trembling hands, and he takes the box up to the cashier, and he gives her the money, and he takes the box home. Just a just a little fella. So he's so eager to have that car, that picture on the box. He opens the box up, of course, and and the box is just full of white plastic parts all stuck together and there's a sheet of instructions, a large sheet of instructions and they're really small type and he looks at the instructions and then he takes the instructions, he just sets them aside and he starts to put the model together. He, he puts the pieces together like it looks like they're supposed to look and at first it's working pretty well and after a while, not so much. And, and uh, he sets it aside because he's frustrated. It just doesn't look like the box. One day, his grandfather came over. And his grandfather said, what are you working on there? And uh, he said, well, I'm putting this model together of my, my red Ford Mustang. And he, and he says, well, uh, why did you quit? And he says, because I can't make it look like the box. The grandfather says to him, so where are the directions? He said, I don't know. Grandpa said, we have to follow the directions. Okay. His grandfather gets out the directions, and patiently working over a period of hours, they put together this beautiful model of a red Ford Mustang. Today, in Ephesians chapter 5, we come upon one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It is the directions for having a Christian marriage. Let's take a look at it. Rome, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, verses uh, 21. We're going to start in verse 21 to pick up the thought and read through verse 33. Whenever I give counsel to young people that come together for marriage, which I get to do all the time, one of the things I say to them is you ought to find a place in your Bible that you can consider the constitution of your marriage. Something that God has said, You know, the culture that we live in has all kinds of ideas and all kinds of confusion about marriage, conflicting ideas about what marriage even is, and certainly lots of conflicting ideas about how marriage works. And so uh, when the couple gets together, I say to them, here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to find a place in the Bible, and usually Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, it just might be the very best place in the Bible for this you ought to take that home and sit on the couch together and you ought to open your Bibles together and you ought to read that passage then you ought to pray together God this is the Constitution of our home this is how Christian marriage is supposed to work this is what Christian marriage is supposed to look like you ought to build your family build your family on what the Bible says the directions that are in the Bible for a Christian marriage, so that's the spirit I'd like to have as we study this passage together today. Have that spirit as, and that's the the tone I would like to take with you. And that is, you know, you're a married couple, or you were a married couple, or you know married couples, or you'd really love to be a married couple. And so it's going to be really relevant for all of us today as we read this precious text. Let's take a look at it now. Ephesians chapter five verse 18 says don't be drunk with wine for that's debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Immediately, when we hear the word submit, for a lot of people in our culture, it has a really negative connotation. And the Bible never means it that way, because you can see this idea throughout the Scripture. As a matter of fact, even in this passage, it's not just wives that are asked to submit here, but we all submit to one another, and then after the wives, the children, and those in the employment situation and throughout culture... The idea in the scripture is not of, like, servile obedience to a a hateful, you know, master. But it is a recognition of of leadership. And it's a part of God's order for authority. And the Bible talks about authority a lot. If you want to be under God's authority and you want to be under God's authority, then you can't be under God's authority unless you are prepared to be under God's delegated authorities. You can't say, God, you're my uh, king. You're my master. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then maybe he says to you, then I want you to obey the traffic laws. And then we say, well, we're not going to obey the traffic laws. Well, then you're not obeying God because those traffic laws are a part of God's delegated authority. This is, you know, a key passage on this is Romans 12. You're familiar with it? I'm sorry. uh, uh, Romans 13. um, It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God those that exist have been instituted by God therefore whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad would you have no fear of those who are in authority then do what's good and you will receive his approval this is just one example and there are lots of examples in the scripture there are lots of teachings in the scripture there are lots of examples in the scripture of that godly people who want to be under God's authority then that God usually shows his authority through delegated authority. And so that's true in, in, in a Christian home. Uh, for any, uh, any human institution or a Christian home to be what it ought to be, then God would have us to recognize that principle of authority. And that's true here in marriage. And so, in a brief statement to wives, he begins there by giving direction to wives. So imagine that you've got your little box and you've got your instructions and you take your instructions out for marriage and you're putting your marriage together First, wives, okay? So ladies, let's um, look at this, men and ladies, look at this, and let's read this piece again. This a couple of verses. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A few things here to see. And, and by the way, this isn't the only place in the Bible that says this. It's not a gloss or, or an irregularity. It's an, clearly stated in other places like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. states the very same thing in a little bit different language. Um, in First Peter chapter 3, there's a beautiful passage about a wife's uh, appreciation for her husband's leadership. Um, in Titus, there's a gorgeous passage in, the, in Titus that teaches how the Christian home is supposed to work. And if you read that passage, they all say the same thing. That, that a wife is to see her husband as a leader and to, and to, and to put herself under his authority in that sense. And so, so here's what it says, uh, just a handful of things. Wives should have a spirit of submission to delegated authority because it says, as to the Lord. Just the same way that you obey delegated authority in whatever you do, you say, well, God is behind this. So I'm not necessarily submitting to the whim of this imperfect person who's in authority over me, but I'm submitting to God. And I'm realizing that God is going to work through this imperfect person who's in authority over me. And then the the scriptures here say that wives should see their husband as their head, just as the church sees Christ as her head. And that's in verse 23. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and verse 3, there's a passage that's really beautiful if you think it through. It says, "I, I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. That's beautiful, really. Who is my head? Christ is my head and then it says and the head of woman is man and then it says and the head of Christ is God Jesus who is very God of very God king of the universe willingly placed himself under the authority of God the Father throughout his entire earthly life if Jesus can be under authority then I can be under authority and if I can be under authority godly women can be under godly authority and that's what the scriptures teach here. And wives should submit to their husbands the way the church submits to Christ. How should the church submit to Christ? Well, very thoroughly and very, very, very with a with great deal of respect. We, we won't talk a lot about it today because we'd really rather look at the directions of what marriage should be. But it's probably important for us to, to recognize that what biblical submission is not. It's, it's not that the husband is superior. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. It's not that the husband is closer to God. That's not what the scriptures are teaching at all. It's not saying that a husband has the right, and you know this, to rule selfishly. Because you see in the next passage, the women are asked to do something that's very hard here. <laughs> in the next passage, the directions to the men, if you don't mind me saying it, looks impossible. So the wives might say, you don't know my husband. My part is impossible. Well, maybe, but it, to me, to look at it, it looks like, wow, that's a hard thing. And then for the husband... What he's asked to do is like, who could ever say that I have thoroughly and fully done that? We'll see that in a minute. It's not saying the wife has to submit to abuse, there are biblical means for that. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in uh, New York and a very good pastor, a very godly pastor with a very strong marriage. And he started a church in New York City, and it was a flourishing church that required a lot of his time. He and his wife had an agreement that he would spend an inordinate amount of time at church for the first couple years while they launched this church. And then they would kind of agree to kind of almost be a part a little bit that time. And then after that was over, that he would come back home and that he would spend the appropriate amount of time with his wife. Well, he, he spent those first two years launching the church, and he got used to that. And then he really didn't kind of keep his end of the bargain, and he just kept working like that. And his wife tried to tell him, and he didn't really hear it. And so one day, when he came home, she was out on the patio, out on the balcony, and she had the china out there, that she had received, this valuable china, that she had received as a wedding gift. And she was taking a hammer and smashing the china one piece at a time. And uh, he said, stop, stop, what are you doing? And she says, I just have no idea how to help you understand what's happening in our marriage right now. He said, well, stop, let's talk. And she explained to him about the promise and about he really hadn't kept his promise and, uh, and, he, and he saw that it was right, and he, he asked her forgiveness, and he promised that he would keep his promise. And then he said to her, why were you smashing our new China? And she says, well, I was just trying to get your attention. I had a few saucers that I didn't have cups for. I wasn't going to break the rest of it. But I really wanted to get your attention. A creative wife doesn't just have to submit in silence to a, to a thoughtless man. She's a human being made in the image of God with dignity, and with something. She's a helper, a valuable helper. So she should help. Most of you already know that. But that's what this beautiful passage teaches about submission. Uh, John Piper's written well about this. Um, He says, the husband is like Christ. It doesn't say the husband is Christ. And then he goes on to say what submission is not. He says, I realize at this point, no matter how I come to this, I'm treading on dangerous ground. He says, I'm walking in a minefield. That's true. And then he says... I could be playing right into the hands of a selfish, small-minded, controlling husband who has no sense of the difference between enriching differences between him and his wife and moral, spiritual weaknesses or defects that should be changed. Such a man will likely distort what I'm saying into a mandate to control every facet of his wife's behavior. And the criterion of what he seeks to change will be his own selfish desires and he'll cloak that with spiritual language. This is what John Piper is saying This is not what the Bible's talking about when it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he goes on and says, What is submission? Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's the disposition to follow the husband's authority and inclination to yield to his leadership. It's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and when you lead in love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you're passive and when I have to make sure the family works. And then Piper says, it's tied to respect. And that's stated clearly in the summary that we're going to get to there in verse 33. But I just think in our culture and with our understanding of this whole thing of submission and leadership, it's really helpful to look at it like, like respect and love. And there's a special charge to wives to have a unique kind of respect for their husband's leadership and admiration. And there's a special charge for the husband to be careful not to be selfish or self-serving in his relationship on his authority, like any authority, but to be a servant leader and to tenderly love his wife and to cherish her. And so this is the, these are the directions that are given to wives in respectful uh, submission. Well, now there are directions that are given to husbands, and those are verses 25 to 32. And, here, and they're like this. You know, he, he says to the wives, the essence of it is, is respect your husband and submit to him like the church respects Jesus and submits to Christ. And then he says to the, to the husband, love your wife, and you know this, right? Love your wife like, like Jesus loved the church by, by dying uh, for the church. By laying down your life. Husbands should love their wives with a sanctifying love. So now, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word. Okay, let me just let you in on something here. You know, as I, when I was a young husband, and I looked at that, I thought, well, I'm supposed to cleanse my wife by the washing of the water of the word. And so I thought, well, what does that look like? Do I, and and here's the picture that was kind of in my juvenile, ignorant, foolish, childish self. Sit her down and teach her what she needs to know. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but that might be a little bit like bathing your cat. You know, that's just probably, (laughs) it's probably not going to go well. Because women, <laughs> are, women are complex, unique, wonderful creatures that appreciate some nuance in teaching. They appreciate you demonstrating things and listening and, and, and loving and, and not just kind of like lecturing or using your favorite Bible verses to demand you know, what you think is right. I don't know if it worked well for you guys, but I don't think I ever helped my wife doing that. And then I discovered in John chapter 17 that Jesus in the high priestly prayer for his disciples in John 17 was saying, sanctify them by your word, you know. And then he says, even as I have sanctified myself. And you think Jesus needed sanctifying? Well, he was perfectly holy, but he consecrated himself by living in the word. And then because of his great consecrated character, that act was sanct- had a sanctifying effect on his wife. So what it would look like, men, I think, is that we saturate ourselves with God's truth. We go silently before God, and we listen to God as he, over and over again, shows us what needs to be corrected in our life, shows us what needs to be added to our life, shows us what needs to be taken out of our life. And this is like a man who lives trembling at the word himself. And as he cleanses himself by living under the authority of the word, there's a sanctifying effect for his wife, she has to receive the benefit of that because he so gently and humbly and honestly walked with God and the, and the, and the word of God has cleansed him and say, he's consecrated himself in that way. And so we're doing what Jesus said he did, though he didn't need to cleanse himself from any impurity. So there, a husband should love his wife with what we would call then a sanctifying love. Guys, you want to ask yourself the question, is the way I love, does the way I love my wife have a cleansing, sanctifying, good effect on her. That's the way that we're supposed to do it. And then it says husbands should love their wives in a sacrificial love. Of course, it's very clear when he's calling on crucifixion language. Like, to what length should I go to love my wife? Well, death. That's just scary, isn't it? Here's a tip, all right, in life that will help you. And that is, um, if you face any great fear, just imagine that God has called you to die. Okay, so, so here, here's the way you look at it. You remember in Revelation 12 when it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they what? They love not their lives until death. Overcomers are people who are ready to die. In other words, if God should walk into your life, and if Jesus should sit down on the couch next to you, and he should say to you, I have an assignment for you. There's something that i like you to do. And you say, well, Jesus, I love you. you die for me. What is it you'd like me to do? And he says to you, what I'm going to ask you to do is going to be very, very hard. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to die. And I'm going to ask you to do it without complaint. I'm going to ask you to do it still giving me glory, still giving me honor, still trusting me. And if he says, will you do that? You would probably say, I'm going to have to have help. I don't want to die. And he would say, I understand, but this is what I'm calling you to, what I did. And then I think if you know the Lord, you would say to him, if you... If that's what you say, I will die for you. And I will not curse you. My last words on my mouth will be praise to you. I think if you know the Lord, you would say that to him. Now, think about that. A person who's ready to to go and die is pretty much ready to do everything else. If Jesus says, well, I want you to die. He says, oh, no, I I don't want you to die. I just want you to give your wife the remote control tonight. I don't want you to die. I just want you to go to Olive Garden because she likes Olive Garden, even though I know you like the Outback Steakhouse. You know, I, I, I know um, you're willing to die. Uh, you get up. Uh, can I just tell you this? I, I, I was talking with a woman from our church who is a widow. And she's working through the great uh, pain and grief of living without her husband. And she told me that her husband, after many years of marriage, after when she would go out shopping and when she would come home, And she had things to bring in from the car. After many years of marriage, he would never just sit in his chair. He would always meet her at the door and go out and help her in with the things. And that is one of the reasons why she's a grieving widow. And she misses him because he sacrificed in simple ways over many years, quietly, as a servant for her. That's the kind of guy who you hear about after he passes, leaves behind him a widow who desperately loves him, and who misses him. And this is the, the picture that that God is painting and that Paul is passing on to us as, as husbands. Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. He died. He laid down his life. So it's a sanctifying love, and it's a sacrificial love. And then it's interesting because it's very exclusive. It says in verse 30, husbands should leave their parents' authority and establish their own household and kind of create a, an, autonomy, a, an autonomous household where he has great respect for his parents, but he's creating his own household of authority there. And, and, uh, and then you have that summary in verse 33 that says, this is what the picture on the box looks like. It says in verse 33, in a beautiful uh, summary of all of it, really, this is a profound mystery. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife she that see that she respects her husband. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Um, I, don't, I can't speak for women, except that I have precious women in my life, uh, and I've talked with them and listened to the ladies of the church, and so if I can't speak with authority for women. I can speak more for, for me, for a man. I know that, uh, from what I hear, women have a great longing for security and for unconditional love and to be cherished. And uh, probably we all do, right? But especially women. And a man, I know this, you know, and from the men that I know and from my own self, a man has a desire for admiration and respect. Isn't it interesting that God says to husbands, you know what your wife is going to want most is just to be treated with great, like cherish her. And he says to the, hus- to the wives, what your husband's going to long for most is for you to look up to him in admiration. Now here's, here's, here's the beautiful thing about this. This is what God does. God will give a husband special insight, special direction, especially in the areas of protection and so forth, for his wife that she might not see. And over the years of trusting his leadership, she'll see that God is working through him in her life. And the other thing is true, too. It, everybody who's married knows this. God will give your wife insights. It's almost like she has the banana phone to God and you don't. And you're like, your wife's telling you this and sometimes, and you think, what? You know, how could you know this? Will you permit me to repeat an illustration that, that's, that I, thank you. Um, so years ago, I'm driving along on a Monday, and Lois tells me, hey Ken, you, w- just, you know, you need to be more clear when you preach with the gospel. And, and to be honest with you, it, it kind of irked me. Because Lois doesn't have any books on homiletics, and I have lots of books on homiletics. And Lois has never taken any courses on preaching, and I've taken, I know you can't tell, but I've taken lots of courses on preaching. Um, so I'm like, I'm just looking at her thinking, and, 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 on top of that, don't tell a Baptist preacher that he didn't make the gospel clear. You know, I mean, that's just like, that's rude, you know? So I just look over here, over her, and, and I was kind of irked with her. I kind of looked at her, and I said, what? You know what I'm saying? I make the gospel plain all the time. She's, well, I don't want to argue, and you know, I just, I just feel like you should be really clear with the gospel every time, and it, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit, and then we decided we just wouldn't talk about it anymore. Well, then on Sunday morning, the next Sunday morning, I thought I had some fun with her. I love her, and, and uh, I thought I had some fun with her. So I, I got a pulpit here at First Baptist in Fremont, and then Lewis and the family would always sit on a pew right over here. And so at one point in my message, I just kind of walked over here in front of the pew, and I preached the gospel, like, as, like Billy Graham. I just like, you know, the Bible said You know, I just really preached the gospel. And then I kind of looked at her and winked, and then I walked back over to the pulpit, and I finished my message. And I sort of had some fun with her, you know, and of course I preached the gospel, and, and that was good fun. And she said, you're an idiot, you know, so, And uh, that day over lunch. And, and then I went to bed that night, and I got up real early in the morning, and when I got up, our computer was in our bedroom back then. I walked over, logged on to the computer, and I had an email from a, boy, a young man named Jeff Bays. Jeff uh, and was dating a girl named Nancy in our church. She brought him to our church because she liked him, but she wasn't sure he was saved, even though he was a religious guy, or he had a religious family. He wrote me an email, and he says, you know, I've been listening to you preach for a number of weeks, but yesterday morning I realized that I wasn't saved, and I want to come to know the Lord. I wish I could take you to that farm up by New Era, and you could see Jeff and Nancy Bays and their horses and their kids and their... He's just a godly guy who loves the Lord. And I think Lois helped me lead him to the Lord. And so when Lois tells me something now, I go, okay, I guess I'll listen. Because God might be speaking to me through her. Now, what's the effect of that? It makes me respect her and cherish her and listen to her, listen to her opinions. And that's what God is doing. So God will give a husband leadership leadership So that the wife will respect his leadership, and he'll give the wife, you know, insight so the husband will respect her and love her. And that's what verse 33 is saying. Men, see to it you sacrificially in a sanctifying way. Love and love and love your wife and lay down your life for her. And ladies, if you want want to have the picture that's on the box, the instruction to follow over and over and over again is show is show respectful admiration to your husband. I know the men are present here, and so i don 't want to get in any trouble with them, but I always think it 's a little bit like training a dog. you know men are pretty simple, you know we we are well we're not we 're pretty simple, and it 's like if you catch that dog halfway rolling over like throw him another biscuit, you know just and guys, I love you we 're friends i 'm helping you here, but you know really it 's like admire him and I think guys are so plain and simple that when you show admiration, even just obedient admiration, you will see that they will just go out of their way to continue to have that admiration. And so I, I, I'm just a great secret, you know, that I've always tried to teach my daughters even, that like, show great admiration. And the way that you talk and what you do, show great admiration, that's gonna be the best thing. And, and then I would say to a man, just cherish her and love her and let her know, make sure that she knows Del Faisenfeld, who was the uh, head of Life Action Ministries. I, I was privileged to know him when he was living, and we had breakfast together one day, and we were a very young married couple, and my goodness, we were kind of in a little bit of white water, you know, just in, in, try, in terms of really uh, having a sense of, you know, kind of h- h- operating really, really together in a very powerful way. And so I thought I would take him uh, out for breakfast. He took me out for breakfast, and, and I asked him about, you know, how to do better on that. And, and I maybe mentioned this to you before, but it's very profound. He said to me, do you love her? Oh, I thought that was, I was just kind of waiting for him to ask, because, you know, I'm a very expressive person. So I, it's easy for me to say I love you and, and a lot, and I'm very outgoing like that. So I just quickly said yes. Yeah. And then he says, Does, have you told her that you love her? I'm like, and I'm like, check that box all the time. And then I'll never forget him. Of course, he was kind of like had that uh, profit wiring, right? You know, And he goes, Ken, I want you to know, I want to know, does she feel loved right now? I'm like, I don't know. You know, in my heart, I'm thinking, I don't know. That's, you know, that's kind of not my job. He's like, that's your job. Not your job to love her. Not your job just to tell her you love her. It's your job to make her feel loved. I thought that was just powerful. I, I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Love her in such a way... That she gets it, and then it will be—it'll make it a lot easier for her to believe that you have her best interest at heart and to follow you as you lead. Leadership's an enigma for all of us, right? It's—it's a a great mystery, and—and so, but I do know this: that um, you tend to follow somebody that you trust because they really love you, and so that's what the scriptures say. Isn't that beautiful? Now, let me just give you three things uh, that will happen. When you do this, and you see them real clearly in the text, what happens when wives obey the directions, they follow the directions, and husbands follow the directions? What happens? Three, three things. You see them in real clearly in the text. When that happens, then together, they welcome Jesus as the head of their home. That's what it says there in verse 23. Do you ever, do you ever see that little plaque? My parents had this plaque. Jesus is the head of this home. You ever seen this? Jesus is the head of this home. He's, he is the unseen guest at every meal, he is the silent listener to every conversation. Can you get that picture in your mind? Jesus is the head of this home. You know, if we if you were, went down your block and found a house, we said, you know, S- Joe is the head of this home, and Bob is the head of this home, and Fred is the head of this home, and Jesus is the head of this home. I'm Like, okay, I want to visit that home. I want to visit the home where Jesus is the head. Can you imagine where Jesus Christ is the head, really the head? What what beauty is going to take place there? What beautiful things are going to take place there? How can we make Jesus the head of our home? By following the directions. By wives trusting God to work through their husbands. By husbands trusting God to sacrifice their life for their wife. Then who's the head of the home then? Then Jesus is the head of the home. You want Jesus to be the head of the home. And then, uh, that's one of the things that happens. And again, remember in 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. And then the other thing is, together, so Jesus is the head of the home. And the second thing is, then they have a means of walking in the Spirit. Now this is really probably at the heart of this text, because this text is just kind of one illustration of what Paul is writing about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because chapter 5 and verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine. That just leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you have a series in the grammar, you have a series of things that kind of spill out of that about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, go back to verse five, chapter 5 and uh, verse 19, and you'll see, if, I, if you ask me, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit as a believer, then I would say, well, don't be drunk with wine, because that won't lead to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then I would say, notice what it says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing... And making melody in your heart to the lord so the first thing i would do is i would saturate my life with beautiful christ-exalting music and i would sing and make melody in my heart to the lord if you want to be controlled and filled by the holy spirit that's what he's saying that's the first means of being filled with the holy spirit singing and then it also says this in giving thanks always for everything to god in the name of our father jesus christ that's so true right how can you be filled with the holy spirit start thanking him for things Just get a big list and go back over your years and say, thank you for this and thank you for that. As you thank the Lord, you will have the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're you're, um, singing and you're thanking, and then what does it say? It says, um, and then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we have that spirit of yielding to others. And then you have the examples, and it starts with Christian women, and then it goes to Christian men, and then it goes to workers, and so forth. And you will see that. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying this. Three things happen when we follow God's direction. One, Christ becomes the head of the home. You'll want that. Two, we have together, as a husband and wife, the means to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You want the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You want him to be in control of you and your home. C.H. Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher, said this. It's almost like he said, when you follow the directions, but he said it like this. When the home is ruled according to God's word, is what Spurgeon said, when the home is ruled according to God's word, or when, when a husband and wife follow the directions, you know, even when the culture is saying something different, when, when you follow the directions, he says, angels could be asked to stay with us and they would not find themselves out of their elements. That's beautiful. Edgar Guest, you know who he was? The unique Detroit guy. Edgar Guest started working for the Detroit Free Press when he was a young boy, sweeping the floor. And many, 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 many years later, he retired from the Detroit Free Press as a staff poet. And he wrote some beautiful, simple, common man poetry, including this one, which I love so much. I'm going to read it to you today. This is what a, what a home would look like when people follow the directions Here's what he wrote, God bless this house and all within it. Let no harsh spirit enter in it. Let none approach who would betray, none with a bitter word to say, Shielded from harm and sorrow's sting, here let the children's laughter ring. Grant that these friends from year to year shall build their happiest memories here. God bless this house and those who keep it, in the sweet oils of gladness steep it. Endow these walls with lasting wealth, the light of love, the glow of health, the palm of peace, the charm of mirth, good friends to sit around the hearth, and with each nightfall perfect rest. Here let them live their happiest. God bless this house." I want to tell you something, nobody ever wrote anything better about how to have a blessed home than what God inspired Paul to write right here, follow his directions. And God's blessing will be on that house. And then there's a third thing, and that is that, so these are the three things that happen when we follow his directions. First of all, Christ is the head of that home. Second, we have a means together, and that together we make Christ the head of the home. Husband and wife, welcome Jesus. Jesus, come to our home right? And then together, the husband and wife, in yielding to one another, loving each other this way, together they have a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the other thing they do, and it's really clear through the text, every time it gives an instruction, it refers back to gospel stuff. Every time it gives an instruction to anybody, it refers back to Christ, to the church, to the cross, to the death of Christ. Everything is rooted in the gospel, so, the third thing that happens when a husband and wife together do what God says is they, together, in the most beautiful and magnetic way, they demonstrate the gospel to a world that needs the gospel. Never more powerfully is the gospel preached than when it's preached by a man and a woman who, together in their home, they are submitting to God's direction. And then they have the picture that's on the box. The wife respects and reverences her husband, like the church respects and reverences Christ. She models the bride of Christ, verses 22 through 24. A husband loves and nourishes and cherishes his wife like Christ loves and nourishes and cherishes his church, the bride. That's in verses 25 to 29. And that pictures the cross. So together they're picturing the church. Together they're picturing the cross, right? And then together, verse 30 through 33, that makes the hidden mystery plain to people who wouldn't normally see it. This is, whenever I preach a wedding and I get to this, it always chokes me up. This is a great mystery. That's what it says. This is a great mystery, and it's profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Whenever we stand here, you know, and a beautiful bride stands there, and a, and a handsome, you know, prospective husband stands there, and we, and we say this is a picture of Christ and his church. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing in the world, picturing Christ's love, and we can do it in, in a beautiful way, in a family with a husband and a wife, if we follow the directions. And so, imagine with me a wedding day, and there's that little ten-year-old boy, all grown up, and he's ready to get married. And he's in that room where they're trying to tie that crazy bow tie, and the guys, the young guys are all in that room, they're kind of kidding with each other, and they're joking around, and the door swings open, and an old man comes in. He has a gift, wrapped in a box. the young man looks and says grandpa I'm so glad you could come here today and grandpa says son do you remember the day that we put this together and then opening the box there's that beautiful red Ford Mustang model this is son I want you to remember that if you follow the directions something really beautiful will happen you have God's word on it amen